listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Um, this morning as we'll be looking at the Word of God from 1 John chapter 1. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1 as we begin this new series. They're also coming forward with kids packs. Kids, there's some outline, there's a sheet there, some work for you to do. You can follow along in the message. So kids, you get loaded up and ready and then you turn and you make sure your parents are loaded up and ready, that they have their pens, they have their Bibles and they have their notes ready to, ready to roll here as we get into God's Word and as we take Take down these notes uh, from God's word so that we can take them and apply them and talk about them in our our small groups this week and and allow God's uh, word to have a work in our lives. And and so turn uh, to 1 John. If you don't know where that is, it's near the back of your Bible. It's okay to use the table of contents to be able to find a book. If you can't, it's a really small book, but it's the fifth last book of the Bible and it's close. Revelation is the last book and then you just kind of keep working your way back. There's Jude, there's third, there's second, there's first John. So first John and, uh, and turn there. We're going to be looking at that in a moment. You know what? Stories of transformation are pretty cool, aren't they? Just love being able to at times just see some of the transformations that take place. Take, take an old car, for example. This car was found in England in, in, in just in 2013. It was a 61 Jag. And, uh, and over 3,000 hours were put into it. And look at the restoration work as this is now going on display and making its, its circuits uh, around some car shows. This, this old car one time was a place where birds were making their nest and now... Um, I think someone has hit the nest egg when it comes to this. Or how about when it comes to a house or a a room renovation and and you just see the transformation that takes place and the difference is like day and night. It's just like that's amazing what can be done through some work and through some effort or or, or the transformation that can take place. I won't show any pictures of this as a result of, of exercise, of diet and exercise. How, I mean, just what can happen with that can be pretty astounding. The before and the after pictures and there's a lot of TV shows and different things that all go about that and highlight the transformation that can take place. But greater than any of these kind of transformations that we can talk about, the greatest transformation that can take place is the transformation of a life. To see someone who has been powerfully transformed and changed by the power of God. There is nothing more exciting, nothing better than that. And I love the stories that I've been able to witness over the years in my own life, in the ministries I've been a, have been a part of. I've heard other stories. And, and have heard these stories of transformation, but there's nothing quite like being able to see these transformations happen before your own eyes and to see God do a work. And, and it's fun. It's fun to see this. It's hard work, but it's fun to see God do a work and to see lives transformed and changed by the power of the gospel. And, and this kind of thing has happened over the years. I'm excited for what God is doing now, just some of the meetings and, and people I've met with and people who are part of our church and to see what God is doing from the day that you walked in the door of this church until now it's exciting and God's not finished with you yet he's not finished with me yet it's an exciting journey of transformation of us growing and becoming more and more like Christ and we're continually on that journey as as followers of Christ in a church where I served years ago, we were in a major building project and one of the workers who came onto the site and was assigned to that site, he would be there for the whole year, was so foul-mouthed, so belligerent, so negative that some serious consideration was being given to have him off the, the job site and reassigned by his company to another job where uh, he wouldn't have such an influence. 
But by the power of God, over a year later at the building dedication service, that man was baptized as a follower, transformed person, follower of Jesus Christ. And it was so amazing to watch God take someone who was like that in the course of of a year as he responded to Jesus and as the body of Christ loved him and showed him and and declared to him the truth of the word of God. The transformation that took place was incredible. And those kind of stories, God, we pray and we hope will send more and more, immeasurably more of those kind of stories. We're starting a new teaching series here today from the book of 1 John, and and it's called Authentic. We want to be authentic people. We want to have an authentic faith, but what does that look like? And 1 John describes that. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of kind of, you know, different thoughts and thinking about what does an authentic follower of Christ look like? Well, the Word of God, we finished the 5G life earlier in this year, and we've been able to help clarify and and show what it means to, to, to live as a follower of Christ. But here are some ways that we can, can, can check our own hearts. We can look at what God is doing or what is God is not doing within the life of even the Christian church. And we have to be aware that, that God is at work, but there's also the enemy that is also at work and that some things are, are also should be cause for concern. This series is going to help us to learn to discern these kind of things. But we want to, we desire to have an authentic, life-changing, life-transformed uh, life. And that is possible through the power of God by his Holy Spirit. But we take God's word and that becomes our source of truth here as we, as we get into this book. It is so helpful though as we dig in here to know a little bit about the author and to know a little bit of the history in order for you to understand and for us to understand and apply it to our lives even here today and to our culture. 1 John was written by John, the apostle of Jesus. And uh, this isn't John the Baptist, this is John the apostle. And John was a man who had been radically transformed by Jesus by spending time with him. Let's take a little brief look at his life. And in Matthew 4, I'm going to read this to you, we see that John was a man that was called by Jesus. Now, kids, this part isn't in your notes. You might want to write this somewhere in there because these are important things, and then we're going to get to the other part in in a little bit. But John the Apostle was a man who was called by Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see the calling of Jesus upon his first disciples. And it says in verse 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat, was, uh, in the boat with, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. John, along with these other men, left everything to follow Jesus. They were willing to give it all up. Their career, the family business, even family, their comfort, their security, their way of life that they had known, and they left it all, and they were willing to give it all up to follow Jesus. And their lives, because of that decision, would never be the same again. 
One of the things when it comes for us today is oftentimes we want to receive Jesus. We love the truths. We love what, what eternal life offers and the life that Christ offers, but we still want to keep our own life. We want to still have our own agenda. But to truly follow Christ means we're willing to give it up. And we receive, we, we, we let go of our agenda and our plan and we take his plan and his agenda for our lives. And for John, for James's brother, for Peter and Andrew, it meant giving up their job, giving up their security, giving up their career in the family business. The call of Jesus is a radical call. It's being willing to give up anything and everything in order to follow. Are you there? Have you done that? Are you doing that today? Or is it still, yeah, I want some of Jesus' agenda, but I also want some of mine. Jesus demands it all because he has so much that he wants to give back to us in life, in joy that we can never experience any other way. Now, it is believed that John was, was in his late teens, actually, probably 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there when this call happened. He was believed to have been the youngest of the disciples that followed Jesus. And as far as we know, he never married. Um, historical writings um, tell us that one of the ways that he was referred to was the virgin. He was referred to as John the Virgin. And, and, and it wasn't just because he wasn't married, but also it was a picture of the purity of love that he had for Jesus Christ. There was such a beautiful purity in his love for Christ. He was also part of the inner circle with Jesus, along with Peter and his brother James. It was Peter, James, and John. These were the ones that were close to Jesus. They were there at the Mount of Transfiguration. An awesome, incredible moment. He was there when he saw the miracles of Jesus, heard the teaching. He was there when Jesus got down and washed his feet, his dirty feet, there at the Passover and as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He was there as Jesus took and scrubbed his dirty feet. He saw him resurrected. He saw him die on the cross. And Jesus even spoke to him directly from the cross. And then he was also witness to the resurrection from the dead. And he witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And here now, many, 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 many decades later, towards the end of his life, he would write these five books that we now have in the Bible. The Holy Spirit would inspire him to take and to write these books, these letters that, that he had sent to churches and are relevant for us here today. And so he wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And then also when he was then towards the end of his life, exiled, isolated in the island, at the island of Patmos, he then wrote the book of Revelation. It is believed that John was the only disciple who was never martyred. The others were all martyred, were put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. One by one, he witnessed or heard the reports of another disciple being martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. His brother, James, being the very first martyr. Here's something else about John. He was not only called by Jesus, but he was transformed by Jesus. And this is where it gets kind of cool. This is the, the, the cool part about being able to take and to study God's word. And in Luke chapter 9, we, we get a little picture of this. Now, I'm, just before we get to that, I'm wondering, how many of you have a nickname? 
You have a nick? Yeah, sure. You know, a lot of times we have nicknames. And, and kids, sometimes mom has a nickname for dad and dad has a nickname for mom. Or, you know, like we have these kind of nicknames that go on. And sometimes uh, those um, probably should not necessarily be repeated, you know, kind of nicknames at times. In our house, Charlotte and I really don't have nicknames for each other. And, um, but our kids, sometimes we'll call Nate, Nader, you know. But, but a nickname that has stuck for many years for, for Clarice, our daughter, is Clarence. And, and even her friends at times at school will call her Clarence. Don't know exactly how that one came about, but, but Clarice is also known as Clarence. So if you walk up to her after the service and, and say, hey, Clarence, she'll probably turn and respond because um, that's just one of those nicknames. Now, John and his brother James had nicknames, and, and, and their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. The Sons of Thunder, what a unique nickname for them to have. And it seemed that uh, this uh, was a description a little bit of their personalities. Because it seemed that they were these kind of bold and these brash, brash and crash kind of guys that were, were just willing to get in there and say and do whatever needs to be done. And you know who we know, you know where they probably got that from? Their mother. You know, isn't that where all those kind of qualities sometimes will, will come from? But, but actually, I think we have biblical evidence to know that this was probably from their mother that they got this personality. And, and because if you remember that it was their mother that came to Jesus and boldly and bluntly just says, Hey, Jesus, you know, when you're setting up your kingdom, can, can one of my sons sit on your right hand and one of you sit on your left? I mean, that took some courage for her to get up there and ask a rabbi to ask Jesus for this kind of a request. So we see that they're kind of, you know, perhaps they get this from their mother and they've seen this over the years. And so now they're kind of in there sort of thing. And, and we actually even get a picture here of, of, of why they were called this in Luke chapter 9. Because in Luke 9, we see that Jesus and his disciples were traveling to Jerusalem. And in order to get to Jerusalem, they had to go, to, go through Samaria. And Samaria was, not, was a place where Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. And so they're coming to a certain town, a certain village, and the Samaritans were like, uh-uh, you aren't passing through here. You folks aren't coming this way. And so, 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 you know, the report comes back. And so we pick this up in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And it says, and when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You know, it's just like, hey, these people won't, won't let us pass through. Should we call down some fire from heaven so that, boom, they just incinerate? Like, how dare they do that sort of thing? And Jesus was like, no, 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 don't need to do that. We see some fervency, some boldness. Like, these guys are, are, are pretty, let's get in there and get it done. But John was someone who was dramatically changed by the power of God in spending time with Jesus. Those three and a half years changed him. No longer would he be referred to as the son of thunder? Instead, he was called the apostle of love. John is often referred to as that. Jesus, from the cross, asked John to take care for his mother Mary. And John did so. There was a humility about him. In the five books that he wrote in the New Testament under the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, I think only once, maybe twice, he even mentions his name. Instead, he referred to himself as the disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. And that might sound a little odd, he, referring to yourself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And you might sound almost a little arrogant or a little cocky, but it wasn't, not at all. Instead, it was more of a statement of awe. Oh, 
I can't believe Jesus would love someone like me. It was a statement of amazement. He realized the depth of the love of Jesus. And so here, in, even in, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it's, he even writes, he says, dear friends. He's not talking anymore about calling down fire from heaven, even though he directs with some fervency the false teachers of the day. But even here in 1 John 4, 7, it says, dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. And in the book of 1 John, the word love is mentioned over 40 times, 40 times in 105 verses. So you can see there's a common theme here through this book of love. Even when he was needing to speak the truth, this speak, as he was speaking the truth and warning the people about the false teachers, there was this beautiful balance of truth and love. And all of us have a balance one way or the other, don't we? In our lives. Either we're a tr truth person and, 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 and we don't really care what people think or what people, you know, have to say. We're going to say what we're going to say, even if it's unloving or even, doesn't, even if it's the truth. But if it doesn't come across loving, that's a problem. Some of us are just so loving and we just want to love people that we don't want to and we're scared to speak the truth. And time spent with Jesus, time spent in the word, as we are changed and transformed, there's a balance. John, John we were able to see this, this beautiful balance in his life. And that came from his relationship with Jesus. That came because he was being transformed by Jesus. And all throughout this book, you get, encourage you to write down, well, it's actually even in, in the little logo there. These three themes continue to keep coming. Jesus, obedience, and love. A right understanding and a right relationship with Jesus. Obedience to the word of God and a love for others. This is what makes an authentic faith and a faith and a life that is experiencing true joy. This is the path to an authentic faith. The third thing we see about John is that he remained faithful to the end. John wrote this book to the churches. It is believed, he doesn't single out a certain audience, but it's believed to the churches in Asia Minor, which is now today modern-day Turkey. Quite possible this was written to the seven churches that were singled out in his book that the Holy Spirit inspired him to, to write in, in the book of Revelations. And so um, it was even believed that he was a pastor at one point in Jerusalem and then in, in Ephesus. And so he's writing to these Christian churches. He's writing to these believers. And when he was writing this, he was getting old. He believed he, he was in his mid to late 80s, possibly even 90 years old. And yet we see this passion, this love for the Lord. It wasn't ending. It wasn't, it, it wasn't dying on him. It was instead, it was growing and building in his love and concern for the church. We see that he remained faithful to the end. We had seen, he, he had seen and witnessed and been a part of so much. Many of you have, have walked with Christ for many years and you've seen so much happen in the life of the church for good and for not so good. And it's easy to become cynical and it's easy to become negative and, 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 and just kind of, you know, just, just kind of live in our own little circle and live life unto our, our, our own selves and into our own friendship circles. And yet we see John has this passion. And I'm so thankful for many of our seniors that God has gifted us with here at this church 
who have left a lot of the comforts that, well, you're pretty comfortable now in these chairs, but I mean, to, to be part of a church plant and, and, and that kind of thing, you know, like you, you want to be part of helping to plant and establish another church for the glory of God. And that's an exciting kind of thing. And, and, and it's about being faithful to the end. And, and John had seen so much. He, he, he saw Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw the death. He saw the resurrection. He, saw, he was there on the day of Pentecost. He was there to see the church begin in those exciting days. He saw the persecution. He saw his own brother die by the sword. He heard the reports of the other ones one by one. Peter being crucified upside down. And it didn't dampen his love for Jesus. In fact, it fueled it even more. And he was a faithful pastor and elder to the end. Even when he was exiled, he took that time and the Holy Spirit used him to write letters. To write a letter to, to the church, to us today from the book of Revelation. And now here he is in the latter years of his life. He's seen that a lot of the external opposition to Christianity had simmered down. It had subsided for the most part. Not a lot of that was happening. But now there was a bigger problem taking place. And there was corruption of the truth from within. That's how false teachers work. False teachers work from within the body of Christ. And this is what he was seeing here. And what he was warning the people about. And here he is in his late 80s. Possibly early 90s. Still fiery. Still passionate. Still writing to refute false teachers. And also to reassure genuine believers. Calling them to love. To have a love for Jesus. And obedience to the word. And a love for others. You know as a person ages. And you all are. Even you in your teens and 20s. You're aging. Believe it or not it's happening. Those gray hairs will start showing up. A lot sooner than you had planned or hoped. I remember for a period of time in my life, I, I, I was plucking them out. I'm like, I, I, I'm not doing this thing. And, and, and I figured if I keep doing that, I'd be bald like Norm. So, yeah, you know, I quit doing that kind of a thing, you know. And, um, but all of us are aging. And, and even this week, Charlotte and I were at a garden center. And we were picking up some, some trees and some dirt. And we were talking with the employee there. And, and so she looked at it and says, can't believe it. She said, so are you guys retired? <laughs> no, no, it's just been, it was, it was, it was a busy weekend. Um, you know, or, or probably what she meant is like she figured I was probably like a retired athlete. You know, like retired hockey player, you know, my, you know, and, you know, especially when she saw our expensive 10-year-old truck with those fancy back tires that look kind of funny on it. You know, she, she must have figured the, 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 this guy is probably a professional retired hockey player or something like that living here in Columbia. I'm, I'm sure that's probably what she thought. All of us are getting old. Even you young ones, you're getting old. It's happening to us. And, 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 uh, and, and in that, we're going to have a choice as we age. Either we are going to become bitter or we are going to become better because we know that we are blessed by God. Bitterness, sadly, can be the life that many, seems to kind of come over the life of many followers of Christ. Those who have spent years in church, it almost looks like maybe they were baptized in lemon juice or something. They just have this sour look and this sour approach to life. There's this negativity, this cynicism towards God and others and, and the, what's happened and things that, the way life has gone, the sicknesses, the untimely death. 
of a loved one or a friend or the financial struggles that's gone on or the emotional issues or the relational struggles or health or marriage or whatever it might be. And, 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 and it does. It, it looks like we've been baptized in lemon juice. There's no joy. And we have a choice to, to live in that or to pursue a blessed life knowing the blessing that has come to us and that we have received from Jesus, which is the better option to choose. And so here we see John. He had he never married he saw a family member, his brother die, he saw others, he saw all of these different things, and yet he continued on, and his love for Jesus remained strong. Oh, may that be our prayer, may that be a reality in your life and my life, that our love for Jesus would continue to grow deeper and deeper, and that would just spawn in our love for others, and, and, and desiring to, for God to do a great work continually in us as others, in us as well as in others. John even states, and we'll get to it in a few moments, he says, I'm writing this. He says, one of the reasons why he states that he's writing this book to the church, he says, because I want you to be so full of joy. I want joy to be bubbling out of your life. And we're going to see in a few moments how joy is possible even in the midst of a difficult life, even in the midst of, of things not going as we have planned. All of this John has experienced joy and he wants us to experience joy. And I wonder today, where are you at? Have you been called by Jesus? Have you responded to the call, his call upon your life and received him as your Lord and Savior? Have you been changed by Jesus? Are you being changed by Jesus? Are you kind of stuck? Are you kind of, kind of cold, kind of lukewarm, just kind of, kind of just going through the spiritual motions? Are you remaining faithful, faithful to the end? Are you trusting? Are you faithfully just giving of your, your time to, to the Lord? Are you serving him faithfully? Those are important questions and we need to be honest as we, as we venture into this book, as we look at our lives on a daily level. How am I doing? How am I really doing? This is what is having an authentic faith is all about. And first John, he challenges us to look at our lives. Not to be busy looking at the lives of others and, 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 and seeing where they're all at. There's a part where, yes, we are to look at, we are to test what is going on within the life of the church and the life of other believers, but we need to be looking first and foremost at our own lives. So now this morning, I'd like for us to look at the first four verses of this amazing um, epistle as it is referred to or this letter that he has, has, has sent here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You're like, What? Wow, I mean, this guy is starting like running at, you know, 60 miles an hour already here. What? There, there's no introduction. There's no nice little greeting. He's just like, boom, come on, let's get after it. Let, let's go. And what's he talking about? And for the first time, read through the second or th even the third time, I'm wondering, what is he talking about? Well, this is the beauty about looking at the word of God and going through it verse by verse and studying it and see what, what, what is meant here and what God is wanting to teach us and to challenge us on. And the first thing that we see here in this passage, encourage you to write this down. And kids, there's some work for you to do here. An authentic faith starts with knowing Jesus personally and rightly. Knowing an authentic faith starts with knowing Jesus personally and rightly. False teaching had been infiltrating the church, causing division and splits. 
And the kind of false teaching that John is addressing here in 1 John were the early seeds of what has become called Gnosticism. And if John was dealing with the early seeds of Gnosticism, today, folks, you need to know we're dealing with the roots of it. We're dealing with the fruits and the roots of Gnosticism. This kind of false teaching in various disguises is still happening within the world today, happening within the life of the church. And we need to be examining even our own heart, and we need to be examining our own thinking when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. Gnosticism means, literally, it means knowledge, or it means the knowing ones. The Gnostics were known as the knowing ones. And they claimed this higher knowledge because they had had a higher personal experience, some sort of a dream or a vision or something happened, and so now they knew. They were in the know. And they were those who claimed they had a special revelation from God and that this led them to, to knowing the deep secrets and the knowledge about God that the average person didn't know. So these were teachers that were in the know when it came to this. They even knew more than the apostles. Now, these Gnostics that, that he's talking about, most of them had only heard about Jesus. Very few of them would have ever have even met Jesus. Most of them would have never even seen Jesus. But now they're claiming this higher knowledge. This is what we see today when it comes to Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons even Christian science, I was reading a bit about that. This, there's this higher knowledge, there's this higher experience that's taken place by the leaders or the founders. This is where they would fall into. And, and their founders and leaders have had these special experiences or revelations or dreams, and now they're in the know, they're in the knowledge. But it can even happen with people, not just in these, in, in these areas that I've mentioned, it can even hap, happen within our churches where people claim a certain spiritual experience that focus on the spectacular, that God has spoken to them in an incredible way or an incredible story. Now, I believe that God can and will speak in miraculous ways, but 1 John, as we're going to get into, gives us a way that we are to test the spirits and we are to, to see that they line up with what our thinking or this person's thinking. No, it needs to line up with the word of God. The truth of God, not the truth of what some guy thinks and this author and this person and this lady, you know, that sort of thing. We line it up to the word of God. And I believe God does the miraculous today and God's, God, God works in, in mysterious and beautiful ways. But we are to be wise and we are to test these with, with great discernment. Gnostic teaching, some other teaching things that they believe, they often denied the deity of deity of Christ, that Christ wasn't fully divine. Some of them doubted his humanity, and, and you'll see this in more. I mean, it, it was just crazy, some of the things, but it's important because you're going to see how John addresses it, and it's going to like, oh, now that verse 1, verse 2 starts making sense. So here's something else that was going on. They didn't believe in the deity of Christ. They didn't believe that he was fully God or fully man, as the, the Word of God teaches. And see, that's a problem, because if if he wasn't fully God and fully man in an incredible, miraculous way that, that he is and God's word teaches us, then he would not be the, the acceptable substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. The work of Christ on the cross would be meaningless if he wasn't fully God and fully man. Some Gnostics would see that all physical matter, all flesh is evil. And so... Don't have anything to do with that. And so this one can't believe that Jesus, he actually didn't have a physical body. 
that he was um, just appeared to have a physical body. Like they believe this and they had a following of people. Like, I mean, how crazy is this, right? Because, because they figured if physical matter, if a flesh, a body is, is evil, then Jesus couldn't be evil because he's God. So he didn't really have a physical body. He was more of a phantom or a ghost. So if you were walking along the seashore with Jesus, you would only see one footprint, one set of footprints, and it would be yours, not his, because he wasn't really there. That's what they were believing. This is what they were teaching people. They believed that the spirit of a person, though flesh is bad, spirit is good. And so this led to two different opposites. And, and, and this is just a little crazy. And it's important that you understand just some of this, where it's going. And you're even gonna, we're going to see some of this even today. And how this plays out within, uh, in our world today. Some of these Gnostic teachers and, 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 and the followers of that gave themselves to monastic living. Where they would go and isolate themselves. They believe they must deprive themselves of anything good. Certain appetites and live a life of self-denial from, from a, lot of the, a lot of good foods. Um, sex being one of them. And, and they live this life of legalism. And, and at times torturing themselves. Torturing their body just to downplay. And, and just to, to stop these crazy bodily appetites that they had. And, and to focus on God. And, and, and oftentimes they'd have limited contact with the world. They would be off together with one another in this. And they would often be recognized by wearing sackcloth clothing, just really poor clothing. And they were often very thin because of them denying themselves so much. Then there was the total opposite. And, and, and they believed, well, if the spirit is good, if I'm, if I'm a good person on the inside and my physical body is the bad part, there's not much I can do about it. So I guess I can do whatever I want. Whatever my flesh wants to do, <laughs> it's evil. Oh, that flesh of mine, it's bad. And so, so I can go out and do whatever I want. But on the inside, I'm really a good person. You ever hear that or see that today? Where we figure that, we can, that people can engage in all kinds of sin and, and do whatever they want and, and still love Jesus. And because Jesus understands that on the inside, I'm, I'm good and, and my heart and my intentions are good, but I can do whatever I want. No, you can't separate the two. And today we see this in Hollywood, we see it in sports, we see it in society, even within the life of the church. And, and I've seen this play out over the last number of years that you can do whatever you want with your body. You can, you can jump from bed to bed with, with people who you're not married to. You can do all this because Jesus loves you and he will forgive you and, and he accepts you just the way you are. This is wrong kind of teaching. And so this is a brief understanding of the teaching that John was writing about. And, and these are the roots that were running or the seeds that were being planted then and the roots that we're experiencing today. And over the years I've had people come to me, tell me about some very strange things. I had one, one man come to me and tell me that Jesus showed up to him one day at work and he told him that he loved him, which is true. Jesus loves, loves him. And then he told him, he says, you don't need to repent anymore. You don't need to ask for forgiveness for any sins anymore. Because I've forgiven you. When you came to, to me at salvation, you don't need, you, I forgave all your sins, past, present, and future. And so now you just live your life and don't worry about it. That's a problem. Because even First John, he says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will, con, uh, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will, what will he do? He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And, and, and we are to be repenting people. We are to ask him for forgiveness. And, and so that Jesus that appeared to him wasn't, wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. That was a different Jesus that appeared to him in that way. I had another person tell me that uh, when, when we were dealing with them, uh, with them as a couple in a certain area and she wasn't taking responsibility for what she was happening, she says, oh no. And, and she literally told me, she says, I'm good on the outside and it's my earth suit that's bad. And it's my earth suit that's doing all of this. And so there's nothing I can do about this. And it's like, yes, you can. Um, we can go to the word of God and, and you can see that, 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 that this belief is off. And, and we are to take responsibility for our, our actions and for our sin. And so now with that understanding, we, we can read these first few verses once again. So we're going to go through it. And I trust that ding, 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 perhaps the light will come on. So first one, it says, that which was from the beginning. First few, few words. John is hitting this just like he did the book of John when, when he writes about this. But, but we won't turn to there at this time. You can read that this, past, um, this next week. But here it says, John, but here what we are seeing, that, it, that when he says, that which was from the beginning, John here is proclaiming the deity, but also the eternality of Jesus. That Jesus was not created. That Jesus has been always and forever. He is the creator, the sustainer. He's God, the second member of the Trinity. Never was there a time that he was not. And so these first few words, he is declaring before the false teacher. Jesus was not just born in an afterthought of God. No, Jesus has been from the beginning. And then it goes on, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Here John is saying, I was there. And he's laying out his credentials to the people so he can speak to them with some authority. Here he's saying, first of all, I know what I'm talking about. I heard his words. I heard him speak. I heard his teaching. I saw his miracles firsthand. I saw what he said. I uh, saw what he did and, and how he was in public as well as how he was in private. He wasn't a ghost. Notice he says that we have touched with our hands. So, so he's, he's dispelling this phantom ghost idea of Jesus. None of those false teachers could claim that. Now you might think, well, good for John. You know, how lucky was he to be living 20 centuries earlier than me. Just if I could have been living 20 centuries ago, maybe I could have seen Jesus. Maybe I could have had an experience with Jesus in this way. But now, look at this as we continue on. It says, um, well, before we do that, I need some help. Vicki, can you come up here for a moment, please? Shouldn't have said that. Just, I should have pointed. You, come up here for a moment. This is Vicky, I think, right? Okay. Um, how am I going to get to know Vicky? Just by standing here? Looking at him? How is he going to get to know me? Is it working? Are we getting to, to connect here? No. How am I going to get to know Vicky? By touching him? Is that how I get to know him? How do I get to know him? Talk to him. By using what? My mouth and by using what comes out of my mouth? Words. Thank you. 
And it has been a privilege getting to know Vicky with words. And, and to get to know about him, and I trust he's gotten to know a little, about, little bit about me and my family. There's much to know about Vicky. But the only way you can find that out is by, yeah, you can go on Facebook and you can, you know, you, you can, you know, stalk a person that way and find out. But you really don't get to know a person. You get to know a person by words. And how do we get to know Jesus? By his word. And that is why we see this reference in in John's gospel, but even in Hebrews 1. I'm going to read from Hebrews 1 because th this helps us to understand this as well. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And John continues on here in this passage now in 1 John chapter 2. It says, concerning the word of life. Who is the word of life? Jesus. Jesus is the word of life. Reference here in, 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 in John 1, as well as in Revelation verses 19, or chapter 19, verse 13, it says he refers to Jesus as the word of life. Words are how we get to know one another. And Jesus is called the word, and so every time I see Jesus in the Bible, I'm getting an understanding of who Jesus is. This is what God is, if you want to know what God is like, we get to look at Jesus. Where do we get to look at Jesus? Through the word of God because he is the living word. And it is through the word of God that we see Jesus revealed. We see God revealed. And it goes on in verse 2 actually. It says here, The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. See, the word manifest here that we see twice mentioned, manifest means that which was once hidden has now been revealed. In the Old Testament, God was revealed through fire and smoke. That's the only glimpse that they were able to get of God. But in the New Testament, God has manifested, has revealed himself to us through Jesus. If we want to get to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Look at him, and we get this through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We get a beautiful snapshot of who God is because Jesus reveals to us our God. You don't have to attend a certain class. You don't have to go and have a certain experience um, and find some new hidden truth or some sort of teaching. It's all right here in the living word of God. And so when we turn to Jesus for salvation, surrender our lives to him, his spirit dwells within us. He gives us new eyes to be able to see and a hunger for the word of God. And so we see an authentic faith starts with knowing Jesus personally in a personal relationship, but also knowing him rightly, knowing him in the way that the word of God describes to him, fully God, fully human. The sacrifice once for all for our sins, not what the Gnostics and what the popular teaching of the day is revealing about him. And so John is saying here that um, as we see this, he says, I'm writing to you so that you would have true fellowship with us as it goes on. And so the second thing we see here, the authentic faith grows as we walk in fellowship with one another and with Jesus. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, another one like, yeah, what are they talking about here? John is telling us here by, his, by the Holy Spirit who's enlightened him, to, has enlightened him to, to write this. He's writing about fellowship with God 
and with one another with, with believers in Christ. First John shows us how we can have the closest, deepest relationship possible with God and with each other. The word fellowship means literally in Greek koinonia, and it means to share the life of another. This wasn't just some surface level audience and stage, or not really a stage, but kind of a front of, of an auditorium or a theater kind of thing, and, and some coffee and refreshments after the service, and, and we'll see you next week. That, that isn't Christian fellowship. That, that is the start and something beautiful about Christian fellowship, but that's not Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is, is doing life together, the good, the bad, the ugly, celebrating and mourning, confronting and loving, serving and giving, asking for forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. It is giving and it is growing in relationship with one another. It's challenging one another through the word of God and it's growing together in Christ-likeness. That is, that is the better picture and understanding what Christian fellowship is all about. And our relationship with God is the first and foremost. It's in having a relationship, having fellowship with God. That's why we're, we talk about God time here, about how important, the most important thing on your schedule on a daily basis is time spent together with God. You miss that? That is, is the most crucial and the most important time, the most important meeting that we can have is when we are spending that time daily in our God time, in the word of God, in prayer, in worship, and in just thanksgiving and, and calling out to him and, and having him teach us through his word and, 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 and us being able to talk to him and, and, and just sensing and knowing his presence in our lives. And our relationship with God is designed to then be lived out with other believers, not to be lived out on our own. That's not God's plan. It's for us to be in fellowship with him, and that launches us into fellowship with one another. That's where our group time and our gather time and our give time and go time are all so important when it comes to the life of a Christ follower, that we've been spending that time in fellowship with God in our God time, but then it flows out in our lives through fellowship and through service. And our relationships deepen with time. And as we know others and are known by others, as we know God and are known, well, God knows us ultimately, but as we continue to, to get to know him, our love for him, our fellowship, our relationship grows deeper and deeper with him, and that flows out into the life of others. And authentic faith grows and grows through fellowship and relationship with God and with each other. And this is what he's telling us here in, in this passage here in verse 3, he says, you have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. But let's face it, at times, fellowship, our relationship with God at times, and with others can be messy. At times when we're disappointed and confused and we're calling out to God and we're upset, how could you do this, God? That's when a relationship gets messy. Our relationship with one another at times will get messy. Offense happens. Sin happens. And we work through that kind of thing and it becomes a beautiful mess. That's what fellowship, that's what, and, and this is what First John is going to be teaching us, how to work through the messes that come in our lives. What does forgiveness really look like? And the third thing we see, that authentic faith. When we have authentic faith, we can experience true joy. Look at in verse four. And it says, and we are writing things, these things to you so that our joy may be complete. The false teachers then and now had one purpose, themselves, promoting themselves, gathering 
a crowd around themselves saying these good things to attract people, but it was about their fame. It was about their riches. It was, a, and even today we see this kind of thing, even within false teachers, it becomes about their possessions, their money, their, their cars, their planes, their books, their seminars, whatever it might be. But here we see the reason why John is writing this. The Holy Spirit has, has inspired him to write these words and there's four purposes that we'll see in the book and we'll dig into the other three next week. But this is the first stated purpose that we may have fullness of joy. John is writing this from the heart of God saying, I want you to experience joy here on this earth. Not a manufactured kind of joy because the world can't manufacture even come close to true joy. There's a huge difference between happiness and joy. Happiness comes and goes. It's circumstantial. It's surface level. We go for happy all the time, don't we? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with being happy and, and enjoying this th the things in this world. But when those become the, our full search and, and, and what we are living for and what we are going for and thinking somehow this is going to work out and somehow I'm going to be happy and somehow it's going to, you know, just, just I'll have some inner peace. And, and we try to find it in work. We try to find it in relationships. We may find it in trips or thrills or, or by doing whatever it is that makes me happy. Oh, this is where I get into my happy place. And we'll never get there. Because we keep finding out, oh, it's around the next corner. It's around the next corner. It's the next thing. It's the next best thing. And Hollywood just shouts this out to us over and over again. And just even yesterday, I, I, I saw and read that Aaron Morin, who uh, played Joni from Happy Days, age 56, was found dead in her house. Another Hollywood star. Someone who had it all. She had money. She had fame. She was on, uh, on, a, on a famous TV show. What was it? In the 60s or 70s? I'm not even sure. But then, I mean, it, it spawned off some other shows and she had all of this. I was reading how her life just struggled with alcohol, with different other kinds of uh, abuse in her life and addiction. Ended up in a trailer park somewhere just, 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 just living a very distraught and very discouraged life. And, and I don't know how her life ended up being cut short at age 56, but we, we see over and over again the things that we are oftentimes trying to strive for. Not we don't state it publicly. We don't state it to other people. But we're thinking, oh, if only I had more money. Only if I had this. Only if I had this. And it doesn't fill. It doesn't. We seek happiness. But instead, in the end, we just find it's not there. It's around the next corner. But when it comes to joy, you don't go seeking joy first and foremost. You can't buy joy. Joy is an underground stream. And it flows from the heart of God. It doesn't deny pain or sorrow or the reality of life. But it's an awareness and it's a confidence that God is loving and working in the midst of our pain, in our sorrows, and even bringing joy even in the midst of that. It's a byproduct from seeking a vertical relationship with God. As we pursue God in a vertical relationship, His life his power, his strength, his joy flows down from us and it flows out. And we see life different. We experience the hardships and the tragedies different. We have new eyes because we are in touch in a vertical relationship, a growing, building relationship with God. It's a byproduct from seeking God. And here's an important reality. If my relationship 
with others is off, if you have bitterness or unforgiveness towards another person, no matter what has happened, no matter what they have done, in, done to you, if there's unforgiveness and bitterness in your life, it's going to affect your relationship with God. It will have a profound negative effect on your relationship with God. The same thing that if my relationship with God is out of sync, if I'm living in areas of sin or in disobedience in my life, he's not first and foremost, the other things are, it's going to affect my relationship with those around me. And this is what John addresses as we dig into this book. These are the two great joy killers. And as we walk in honesty and humility of heart in our relationships with God and with one another, Joy is the incredible byproduct. Let's pray together. Before we pray, I'd just like to bow our heads and, and just even just spend a few moments talking with fewer distractions. And this is a time for, for you maybe to ask yourself some questions. As we're getting into this amazing book, I wonder where are you at today? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about your relationship with God and his family? Firstly, do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? God loves you so much that he made a way for you to know him personally by sending Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. That's what we celebrated last week. And today, he invites us into a personal relationship with him if you haven't done that. would love to talk to you afterwards if you want to know more about that. But today, if you're here and you've confessed Christ as your Savior, how are you doing? Are you allowing him? Are you being transformed by him? Or have you kind of settled in in some areas? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus like John, willing to give up all things? Or have other things crowded in? Are you growing? Are you being changed and transformed through fellowship with him daily and, and together with his family? Is there a brokenness in relationships that, that need to be mended and, and need some attention? We're going to work through that and would love to talk to you through that. We'd love for you to talk and pray with you after the service or talk about this in your small groups. This is what an authentic faith looks like and, and, and one of the beautiful purposes of it is so that we would have joy. Joy here on this earth despite our circumstances and overflowing spring of joy coming from God to us. God, I pray that today that as we look to your word in the coming weeks and as we've heard your word here today that we would come to look at your word and your truth about who Jesus is, is in a proper way, in a way that is biblical. We would become wise, filled with great discernment when it comes to experiences and when it comes to teachings that are in our world we want to be wise and we want your word to be first and foremost in our lives to be the center to be our source of of, of truth and when that happens and we're living in that truth relationship with you and living this life with others in fellowship there's joy unspeakable joy and it's all because of you, Jesus. And so we worship you once again and we praise you for who you are. Let's sing in response to him today as we stand together.